Hi, everyone. I'm Gwen Jones, and welcome to another episode of the I'm a Rotarian podcast, the weekly podcast where I introduce you to amazing people who proudly call themselves Rotarians. Well, as you all know, I talk a lot about the four-way test. In fact, it's one of my favorite questions. What does the four-way test mean to you, and how do you use it in your life? Well, what if we meet somebody who actually examines that question at a war college or at a university? Well, I've got a gentleman for you who's done that in both places. Joe Cerami joins me this week. We're going to talk about the four-way test. We're going to talk about teaching the four-way test around a military atmosphere. And of course, we're going to ask Joe about what the four-way test means to him. So join me, won't you? Joe Cerami joins me this week on the I'm a Rotarian podcast. And as always, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am off to Texas this week, uh, Brian, Texas, to be uh, more specific, with uh, Joe Cerami, who is going to be my guest this week, and he has no idea why. He is the president of his uh, Rotary Group, which is the Rotary Club of Brian, Texas, which he gave me the location. It's over there by a little school named Texas A&M. You may know that one. I, I, I for sure know them. They've got a pretty decent football team, if memory serves me right. And uh, he's thoroughly convinced he has no idea why I asked him to be on the podcast, except I think, Joe, when I look at your Facebook page and other places, you're doing some pretty awesome things as a Rotarian. So, and I want to know all about it. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. And so uh, I told him, I told Joe before we went on, this is just fun. We're going to work off those 10 questions. I want to know all about uh, your being an everyday person who proudly calls themselves Rotarian, which leads us to that very first question. Um, how, do you, how did you get to know that, that rotary wheel? How did you, Joe, become a Rotarian? Well, I, w- I was invited uh, by my boss who was a, uh, a professor at Texas A&M University. I, I taught at the Bush School of Texas A&M. And uh, he was a Rotarian, had been a president, uh, and he invited me to go. And I really was attracted at the time I was teaching in a master's program in international affairs. And uh, wow. I really loved the uh, camaraderie, the fun and fellowship of the club there. And I had uh, I had served a 30 year army career and been around in the Cold War in Germany and Korea. And uh, it, when I was back in the States, I never really participated in any community activities. And I, I felt that was an area I need to know a lot more about. In part, uh, many of our students, uh, for example, uh, were in nonprofit management field. Mm-hmm. And I'd never worked with a nonprofit before. So, so getting into Rotary had the international dimension, which I, I really uh, wanted to get involved in, and also the, the community affairs and getting to meet people in Bryan, Texas. Um, uh, one of, we used to do a big, when I was on the faculty at the War College in Carlisle, we used to have a big 500 people would come every spring and, and we'd have the Army officers interact mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, members who'd been nominated from communities across the United States. And and one of them said a funny thing to me during one of our seminars. She said, 
I never knew I was a civilian until I came here. Because the military guys always talk about civilians, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah. Is that me? Am I a civilian? Uh, so that that's that's a, a long story for, to uh, I should have given a short answer, but I, no. I love being engaged in the community here. That's a great and to say that that uh, I found it one a couple of things that I plugged into one that you taught at the War College that isn't too shabby. Uh, <laughs> congratulations! Um, I'm assuming the Bush area of the uh, Texas A and M would that be our two late presidents, uh, Bush Jr. and Bush Senior? Is that is that named after them? I am assuming. Well, yes. Well, every president gets their own. So, uh, oh, Bush W. George W. Bush. Okay. Is Dallas. He's forty-three. Right. Ours was the father, uh, Bush, uh, forty-one, who knew his way around the War College and uh, international affairs too, if memory yeah. serves me well, right. He, he was interesting because he insisted that wherever his presidential library was, he would have a school of. Uh, who wound up being called government and public service. He wanted to establish a program for for students to prepare for work in government. And so he put that, made sure in the title, uh, government and public service. And that'll that'll take me to the four-way test at some point in time. Okay. Yeah. And that is one of our questions we'll take up later. Just to to Stick on this, though, a little bit more. It isn't necessarily military, this particular part of school. So I no, think I, I'm naive. I am I am the the first to admit I was raised by two fabulous hippies in uh, California. And we were marching with Cesar Chavez. And my mother was proud to say that our phones were tapped and she was very anti-war. And I decided to fall in love with somebody whose father worked for the NSA. So to say that I've gone to both extremes, but when I think of quote unquote government service, I think of military and then from military, you get some type of job. That is how my other half's father got into it. He was in the air force and then went to work later in not in Korea in for the NSA because you so but this but this is not associated with military is that correct no we would we would have maybe 10 percent of our student body when I was there it was about 300 uh, maybe about 10 percent had military experience now Texas A&M had a military tradition originally right. it was a uh, everybody was in the Corps of Cadets and then in the early 70s, uh, James Earl Rutter, who, who many things are named of here, was president for quite a while. And he opened it up and uh, that uh, he didn't require Texas A&M students to join the Corps of Cadets. He, he, of course, turned it from an all-male institution to uh, women. Right. Uh, so, so Aggies up till, I think, around 1968 were required to be... Uh, uh, members of the Corps. My date's probably wrong there. So the school itself does have a military tradition. If you, if you do like football and you see Aggie halftimes, they have the Corps Cadets Marching Band has this elaborate drill they do. And it it, it underpins a lot of, of what the university is about, but it, it's it's far beyond that now. I mean, at the time it was all male right. uh, military school or about 2,000 students. Now there's, depending on which subcampuses you count in there between 70,000, 80,000 students and 
the vast majority are not military or related to the military in any way. So then here's a, then, then I guess I, if you know this trivia question, which came first, women at Texas A&M or women in Rotary? Women at Texas A&M. Oh, well, <laughs> there you go. Texas A&M, Rotary, just saying. Well, okay. Awesome. Um, you also pinpointed in that in that uh, story. See, I was listening that you very much liked the international idea of it. Is that because your service was so more international than domestic? Well, yeah, uh, uh, I was in West Germany before the wall came down and then I was I served in the United Germany. Uh, we uh, we had two years in Korea. Uh, we. Uh, Throughout all the Army schooling, so when I was a lieutenant, a captain, a major, lieutenant colonel, colonel, every school had international students in there. So you developed a lot of uh, friendships mm-hmm. as well as pro- professional relationships. And so being in, in the Army in the Cold War was all about the alliances. NATO was very important, our mutual defense treaties with the Japanese and the Koreans. So international was just uh, part of, of military life. And the idea that I was teaching in the School of International Affairs as well, uh, I was thinking Rotary would help uh, to provide an avenue maybe for some of our students. Uh, and that, that, that did not work for me at the college net level necessarily, because there's a lot of international programs already uh, at Texas A&M, so they didn't need any boost there. But especially uh, with Rotary Rotary Youth Exchange, uh, those have been very important part of what our Rotary Club's done. And, and we've had two long-serving Rotarians that, that sponsor that program for us. So every year up till last year, mm. we were sending between three and six students from local high schools overseas to spend the junior year in high school in a youth <laughs> exchange. And that that... We, we bring those in when they come back to do a talk, and it's always uh, just so rewarding uh, for us to see how much they've appreciated what Rotary gave them the opportunity to do. And they have, they come back with great photos. Yeah. You know, go to Europe, Alps, and mm-hmm. the beaches in the Mediterranean, and, and Paris, and all that. The, the host families overseas uh, do a terrific job of of taking the students around. So they get a, a whirlwind experience. And, and also on our side, uh, the two Rotarians that have done our Rotary Youth Exchange, they are, are really good at getting other community members as well. So the kids get to go, go to San Antonio to see the Alamo. We had uh, one, one uh, from Italy that wanted to be a pilot and the Rotarian set her up and, and uh, he's a pilot. So he took her up in helicopters and, Oh, fantastic. Better fly small planes. And they're still in touch with each other. That's been 10 years now. Yeah, we unfortunately, our our club sponsored a, a young man I, to go to Switzerland and he didn't get to go. Yeah. So yeah, it's, disappointed. A, yeah. Yeah, it's a program that, that hopefully after this whole silly madness of this pandemic is over, we can kick back in into full speed. I think it's something that's been so missed by so many people. Um, so, which brings us to one of my questions that I love, and we're going to, I'm going to pinpoint it to, it sounds like we have, a, you have a lot of international stories to tell, but 
when you think of a story in all your years in Rotary, and when did you when did you join Rotary? I joined in 2011. 2011. Okay, so when is there a time in your Rotary experience, way down and all the way back to 2011, that every time you think of this moment puts a smile on your face? It still inspires you to become a Rotarian every day. What I love about this question is every time I ask it, people start smiling. So you are smiling right now. Tell me about one of the most inspirational times uh, that has happened to you as a Rotarian. Well, two years ago, um, we applied for a district grant and we participated with Habitat for Humanity. Mm which is also Habitat for Humanity International. Uh, There you go. I knew you'd poke in that international somewhere. (laughs) The executive director is a Rotarian, and uh, I'd been asked to serve on their board a while back, so I had two years up up close at board meetings. And uh, they they were involved with uh, something called Healthy Homes uh, Guatemala. Mm. And uh, so we, we, you know, a small group of Rotarians with members from the community, Habitat volunteers went down. And it was only eight days, uh, but it was really meaningful. We helped. Uh, uh, is this the stove? Mud, mud stoves. This, okay, yeah. I was going to say it's the stove program. Yeah. They're called smokeless stoves. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy when I'm doing low level manual labor and just, you know, slinging mud around and mixing cement for a week. But we got to see the, the Guatemalans in a village uh, outside of a really beautiful town called Antigua, Guatemala, up in the mountains, surrounded by oh. volcanoes. Wow. With a lot of colonial history. And uh, uh, the kids were there, you know, you just saw the Guatemalan kids hanging around. The mothers were so hardworking and Everybody was so grateful. Uh, people at Habitat here in our local office told me that that the Habitat for Humanity Guatemala was the best run habitat in the world. And they were really good, uh, very good at organizing everything and taking good care of us. And uh, you know, we built, wound up uh, in a week, we built 14 stoves for 14 families. And do those families actually, they help build them with you, if I remember correctly. Is that correct? In, or is in it- some cases, they did, and some they didn't. In some cases, okay. just the mother taking care of the kids. Uh, we didn't, you know, we didn't see a lot of men. I, I assume they were off doing their work uh, elsewhere, uh, but surrounded by kids every step of the way. And that was, that was really an enduring part of it. I have to say, if you, get, if you have to work all day surrounded by big smiley kids faces. That's not exactly a a bad idea. And, and I think some people really forget that Habitat for Humanity. I think we only think of the United States, but as an, as an organization, they're building homes all over the world. Yes, Yeah. So I I think, I think we forget that. (laughs) So then um, let's get to that, to that one that you already teased about, as we say in the rotary business. And um, that's about the four-way test. And you mentioned immediately your military service and you went to four-way test. The four-way test has been talked about on this show a little bit more esoterically, or it's been talked about uh, as a follower through business. So the question is the four-way test, it's a guiding principle. How has it impacted your life? How do you, how do you use the four-way test in your life? Well, uh, actually, after I left the army, I, I got involved when I was at the Bush school, President Bush, um, 41. Mm-hmm. 
wanted a leadership program. So the, the dean at the time asked me if I would do that. And I wound up putting together a, a two-year program for leadership development. And uh, I didn't have a, a, a strong academic background in, in leadership and management. I was more into international relations and international politics. So I had to go to school on it. And uh, the core Wait, idea- So he's asked you to teach something, but you had to go to school first to be able to teach it? Well, I, I was already in a, a doctoral program <laughs> okay. in public management. There you go. So True. I, I was in the process of writing my dissertation. So I, I decided to write it on, on public leadership and uh, focus on that organizational development, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things that would have been appropriate for an MBA or a management degree. Right. Uh, right. So, but I did it with the public management side. So the idea that really grabbed me in, in that, really quick study I had to do to, to set the program up was how important values were mm. and uh, the values-based education and building it around what I would call ethical principles. And so the idea of, of ethical leadership really uh, coincided well with what I was thinking about in the four-way test. And our club has always emphasized that. I mean, in addition to talking, you know, we recite the four-way test at the beginning of every meeting, we'll have members without any prompting from anyone when we do a, a, a minute to, for them to reflect on something. They will talk about the four-way test. We had a guy in the healthcare industry, and he made it part of his onboarding, pardon the expression, mm-hmm. bringing new, new employees into his company uh, doing healthcare. And he talked about the four principles. and and how he expected them to uphold those as part of the reputation for that company. Uh, so that all came together for me very well. <clears throat> After my time at AM, I taught for two years at a small Catholic liberal arts college. And uh, they asked me to set up a center for ethical leadership, uh, which I did. And again, there the emphasis I put was on values-based leadership. So it's just a natural fit for me, and it makes a lot of sense. The people that, that operate that way and, and are willing to talk about it, uh, I, I found them in all walks of life. Uh, for example, in Houston, they, they had a, uh, a line with the university, uh, was a, a businessman who set up a, a business ethics forum. And they would do monthly uh, meetings. Uh, they would bring in CEOs of corporations and lawyers and, and educators and theologians, and they would talk a lot about ethics and ethical leadership and how important it was. Um, so it was something that uh, a lot of people say that, yeah, we do it and they want it. They want to do, you know, people want to do more of it. Mm-hmm. But doing it in an intentional fashion uh, really matters. And, and our Rotary Club makes that very clear. And it wasn't my doing in any way, shape or form, but uh, the the significance and the importance and the commitment to the four way test is very important to our club. Well, it, and to to get on a on a few points of what you're saying, you you were saying that like this doctor and others who necessarily were not Rotarians were using the four way test. Is that what I'm understanding? No, he was a Rotarian. So he was a Rotarian. So one thing I I did catch on is that you're you're teaching values and values um can be of the time there are values you can go back 
centuries ago and the values of the Greeks and Romans may be much different than the values of the monarchy or the values of. So is there something about the four-way test that gives kind of a, a starting point of where value we can all agree on of values? Does that does that kind of I'm not sure if I'm asking the question correctly, but when you're when you're talking values, my values may be different than yours. Her values may be different than him, than his. So when so is the four-way test a starting point to discuss values? I think it is. I mean, the fact that it's it's lasted as part of Rotary now for over 100 years means there's something there. Nothing lasts that long without having some foundational uh, concept that appeals to people. And uh, certainly, the, the uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about political values. I'm not Absolutely. talking about religious or religious values. values. Or, right, correct, right. I'm, I'm talking about ethical values that, uh, are expected in all, all professions, all, all professions that I looked at when I did my research have a, a code of ethics. And we have ours. And it, it's very simple. It's highly emphasized and, and uh, something that, that our libertarians believe in. Now, I will tell you, we have a lot of diversity in our club mm-hmm. in the sense of uh, politics and, and, and uh, religions. Uh, we don't have as big of an international uh, number of members, and we're always working on that. Uh, the ones we have have been very good uh, Rotarians and very helpful. We have members from university faculty. Uh, we've had um, members who are businessmen in the local community. Because Texas A&M is such a large university, it draws a lot of international students, and a lot of them wind up wanting to stay here, and they become part of the community. So, um and they are always welcomed and, and appreciated very much. So they talk about our constitution being a quote, living, breathing document that it's changed. It's got amendments. It's got different things. Um, could you use the same kind of vernacular when we're talking about the four-way test that it's kind of a living, breathing document. And so that's how come some people take it as a way to start with values or other people take it as a way <laughs> to run their business or other people take it, it, could it be kind of similar in that way that it's still right, no matter who says it or believes it? Well, I think there, there are core principles that uh, are part of American political institutions. So mm-hmm. I used to teach that stuff and, you know, separation of powers, checks and balances, uh, the, uh, significance that that power is shared in our government. I mean, those all become starting points for for in-depth discussion. And and certainly there are going to be policy differences all along. Um, Right. But uh, uh, I guess that goes under, is it fair to all concerns or is it building goodwill or better friendships? I mean, one thing I joke about all the time is, is it fair to all concerns may not mean it's your way. No, that's right. And it, it, those are things that we talk about in our board meetings as well. And I, I think the thing for me, too, because uh, I used to teach decision making as well. Wow. <laughs> one of the things to, to ask yourself, especially when you're talking about ethical leadership, is as you're going through the options, you know, do we want to go with plan A, B or C? Uh, is there a, is there one option that's more ethical? than the others for whatever reason. 
and and or if there's not uh, a, a clear ethical component to what you're deciding, uh, can you find one? Mm-hmm. So oh, I used to, I, I when I was in the military, I I, I tried to explain this. Uh, uh, to military audience as well, because we were, you know, military planning, there's a lot of matrices and, and boxes and all that kind of stuff. You right. know, is it uh, feasible, affordable, acceptable when you're looking at your options for decisions? And I would always tell our students, I said, you need to have another box in there because we used to have at least three feasible, affordable, acceptable. Okay. As far as the outcome. And I, I would always put one, is it ethical? And I, that would be a discussion. Let's talk about it and see if we can brainstorm and think of a way to be sure we're meeting the standards for what ethical uh, military operations are all about. But is there a way to make it more ethical and things we should be more concerned about that we've not made clear so that soldiers understand as well uh, what the right thing to do is in these situations? Which always, yeah, I mean, I, I well, there is a, there's a military code of ethics. We've had quite a few uh, military folks on the podcast. We've also had some police officers on the podcast that are that say there is a policeman, police persons uh, code of ethics. And there's the four way test and where the two of them s- speak the same language. Um, one one thing that's always come up to me is, you know, in a military uh, structure because there is the structure from general down. It, it doesn't matter necessarily what your ego wants. There is a military code of ethics and a and a any form of of uh, rank, I guess, for no better word. So again, uh, the four way test gets rid of that rank as well, I guess, and makes it kind of for every man to follow. Man in the generic term. <laughs> Yeah, we don't say that anymore. You say soldier, uh, marine. Right. So, uh, yeah, well, well, those discussions have to occur from from top to bottom for the organization for it to be effective. And it's it's something that's part of every level. I mean, I would have, I didn't call it ethics, but but we would talk to soldiers you know, once a week. I, I would have uh, uh, meetings when I was a captain with the hundred artillery soldiers I had in my unit. And uh, from, you know, once a quarter, I would make a point of, we're going to talk about some ethical issues because there's a lot of opportunities for, for people to have to work around the bureaucracy, which is very complicated. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so we're not going to cheat on plussing up our numbers to make the unit look good. Let's talk about ways we can make the unit look good and do it honestly. And, and that had to be a discussion, a conversation as well. So that always brings us to service above self. And with your military background and your teaching background, one would say you've picked a couple professions right off the bat that are service above self. And now you've picked a Rotarian as well to add that into the pot. So what does service above self mean to you? Well, uh, the, 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 point I, I would always make is is uh, it, it's got to be selfless. Uh, we're a volunteer organization. Nobody gets promoted to anything uh, of a monetary value at all. And so you really have to make that kind of a commitment. And I, I stress that when I do my new member orientation. And uh, I always say that there's no, there's no job classification called 
assistant Rotarian. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And our, our club secretary and treasury always laugh when I say that. Yeah. Uh, but there isn't. And so it's, it's uh, you know, it's a small boat. We all have to row. If, if you mm-hmm. want to see a project come uh, into fruition, don't tell me you want a project to start on, on whatever your pet interest is. Right. Form a committee, get a group together, form a consensus, bring it to the board, and uh, and then we'll we'll work it from there. But you have to be engaged in it. And that's that's part of what I like about the notion of service. And, and we uh we have done a lot of projects. I mean, some clubs do different projects than we do. We can't do everything that people would like. Mm-hmm. But, we, you know, we work with Habitat. Uh, right now, there's a major project going on to vaccinate uh, the citizens of Brazos County. And uh, the lead on organizing volunteers for that is the director of the Red Cross for Central Southern Texas. And she's a Brian Rotarian. Cool. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's a lot. I mean, there's 2000 volunteers as part of this project. Uh, and she asked for volunteers and, and Rotarian stepped up to the plate. And, you know, we're not running anything. We're, we're mm-hmm. uh, in my case, I'm doing pretty uh, low skill things like <laughs> packing boxes and stuff. And, and stuff that I'm we're really got. Right. No needles and arms for me, but I'm happy to pack a box. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I was hoping they would have a training program so I could learn how to vaccinate somebody because that would be something I think I'd be interested in trying it. But uh, no, they put me in a supply room, but I'm happy as a clam to do that. There you go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, the Rotarians we have are just an amazing group of people. And they're they're involved in all kinds of things. And I don't even know about most of them. So, you know, for example, we had a uh, we wrote up a district grant to help out a boys and girls club in the Brazos Valley. And I'm up there talking about this grant and I b- bring the lady in that's going to work with us from boys and girls club. And I find out we've got four people in the audience from Brian Rotary who are board members. And you didn't know that. Uh, nobody told me. Nobody yeah. told me like, hello guys. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> I brought them all up for the picture, you know, with the check and all that kind of stuff. And but that happens to me all the time when it comes to the kind kind of uh, people that we have who are doing this stuff for, you know, the, the school Bryan Independent School District. They do it for local churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of involvement. Some of them are, are just amazing, uh, and and uh, I'm uh, I'm jealous because I'm retired now. And when I was working, I had. Uh, no, uh, no idea that all this was going on around me. Again, it's that uh, thing about being in the military versus being a civilian. So I just figured, well, that's something civilians do. Uh, and uh, uh, the uh, you know, again, the great, the great air quote civilian. Now that you're, that's what civilians do. <laughs> that's me. Yeah, I'm a civilian. So, how many members are in your Rotary group? Uh, we're about 116. Wow. See, we you're talking to somebody between, with a whopping 40 in hers. So way to go. 116. <laughs> we bounced between about 100 and 120 uh, for many years now. Uh, attendance at, at weekly meetings is down because of COVID. Right. Uh, but we've started uh, to uh, uh, increase that. We're, we're getting closer to 40 coming to our weekly meetings regularly. 
Oh. And is that actually live and in person? Because I know different states have different rules. I know here in Washington state, um, we're not allowed to meet more than 10 people right now. So um, how well, many, yeah, I'm talking to Texas, which is a little bit different. Abbott took all the restrictions off uh, and uh, you don't have to that wear a mask. Go over with your, how, how did that go over with your crowd? Uh, our club it was is fine with it. Again, there, there's diversity of opinion about it as well. I, I tend to wear a mask more, and I always tease the other Rotarians who don't. I said, well, you should have tried wearing a gas mask in the army when you're on field operations, and then then you'd tell me how easy this is to do and try to provide another layer of protection. Uh, wow. We it's got that's got to be an interesting club to go to just on on that talk about rotarians that are willing to work together i guess yeah huh that's yeah. <laughs> well, a very very mature group and mm-hmm. they know that there are people that will disagree with whatever it is that we talk about that everybody's fine they all accept it well you know i i guess there's probably half of my brain that's just like Joe, that's crazy. And then there's the other part of my brain that's pretty darn impressed that you guys are still willing to work together for a greater good, even with people with masks or no masks or this and that. Um, One question was such a large group like that, to change the topic, is the famous 80-20 problem, meaning 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Does your club have that or is it a pretty all-around active club? Uh, well, there there are um, some Rotarians that do a lot. Uh, again, though, it's all volunteer, right? So right. if somebody uh, has the time and the effort, I mean, we have some very talented people that have very specific skills, mm-hmm. you know, like our webmaster. Uh, she's terrific. And, and, and she's also an assistant governor. And she's so she may not be loading all those boxes with you, but she's your webmaster. So God knows she's spending quite a few hours doing that kind of stuff as well as other she things. She is. And we, we do something every year called the Field of Valor, where we we put up uh, a thousand flags in the local Veterans Park and Athletic wow. Center. And she started that. The next year will be our 10th year and uh, organizes it and, and does all the the forms and all that kind of stuff and manages the finances and, and she's just terrific, but that she knows how to do all that stuff. And, and so she does it and we help her, you know, people come in and, and role players, but we do need leadership uh, from within the club. And, and that, that was my point earlier about if you got an idea for a project that we, we should be doing, or you think we should be doing, get it organized and come tell me about it. And then we'll figure out how to make it work. Let's do it. Well, I just have a few more questions for you, and then I'll I'll let you go back to a, a lovely uh, <laughs> mid-spring Texas day. Um, but so how do you think? Well, first of all, has Rotary any different than when you joined? Has it changed a lot in just your, what, 10, 11 years in Rotary? Has it changed a lot since you joined? Yeah, well, when I first got into it, uh, our club was a bit older. Uh, we. Uh, that was the time of uh, 100% attendance was required uh. during the course of the year. Frankly, that appealed to me. Uh, I, I, I wasn't 100% uh, able to attend every meeting, but the idea that that you were making the commitment to 
really focus on that. And, you know, I miss seeing a lot of our, our Rotarians, uh, especially, be, you know, because of the COVID. Right. And I understand it. Uh, but we used to get at least 70 at a meeting every week. And now we're down to about 35 to 40. So there's a, a huge chunk of them that I don't get to hang out with. And I, I love the fun and fellowship and seeing yeah. them. They're all my best friends now. Do you think they'll start coming back when more people are vaccinated, when some of the scariness kind of calms down? Do you think people will come back? I hope so. But but our club's always had a lot of turnover. I mean, not a lot, but, you know, five to 10 percent a year go out and five, 10 percent new members come in. And that's why we've kept kept the level of around 110, 120 uh, for so that's many great. years. And so, I, you know, I love it when new people come in because it adds a new dynamic to it. And, and we find out that they have a different, a different set of skills and interests, and so we, we try to match those as best we can. And uh, want, we want to keep everybody for the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. So then, now that you do have a, an interesting future, right? We're going from thirty. You're going to get back up to that hundred again. Um, how do you think Rotary can can grow in the future after mm-hmm. we're all back and healthy again? Not only in the United States, but internationally. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm very curious about the international part of it because I, I mean, when I go to the, the president-elect training for for two years, they really emphasize the fact that the U.S. Rotary population is declining, but it's really booming in places like India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Oh, the African continent is just exploding. I know. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, and you know, going back to your earliest point about how many friends I have in Facebook, a lot of them are from those countries, and they're. Yeah. You know, we're becoming friends because I've got the rotary banner on my face on the on the Facebook page, and so that's an interesting dynamic. And 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 uh, hopefully, in, in future years, we can get back to more international programs and learn more about what's driving that, and see if there are things there that we can adapt uh, to it. I think we have to be dynamic, and I think we are. I mean, I, I, we uh, we are celebrating our 100th year anniversary this year and we had uh, a uh, congressional uh, announcement uh, congressman bill flores our, our area rep had the congressional record uh, provide a, a short history of rotary and, and you know getting it into the record is a, a deal we got a certificate for it wow but the thing that impressed me was the things we were doing in the early part of our history were very different from what we do now Okay. Like, uh, do you have an example? Well, uh, uh, we, in the early days, we were doing a lot of uh, golf tournaments and beans and rice uh, uh, kind of stuff. So we're not, right. we're not doing that as much. Uh, and, uh, um, uh, you know, for example, back in, in the early 70s, at the time of change for for uh, the university and in turn change for the community. I mean, Bryan College Station have really grown dramatically, right. I mean, even in the 10 years I've been here. Uh, and so they started a, 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 a uh, they call it the opera and I wrote it down, opera and performing arts society. And they started, the Rotary Rotarians organized all that. Wow. And they would bring in off, off Broadway plays and bring in concerts and, and all that. See, I can stick behind that. I want, I want that we need to start one of those up here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that involved is something called OPAS now, O P A S. 
I had no idea what Opus stood for, but it's a major community activity that's sponsored by the university. And it's got a, a full staff. It's got a budget. It, it uh, organizes 10 to 15 major events, cultural events a year, ballets, plays, concerts. And its tiny roots were with your Rotary Club. Yeah. And, and now, you know, we have to remind our Rotarians about, you know, we started that. And every year we bring the Opus director back and she points all of that as well. See, that's awesome. And I, I have to agree that I really, I know that I'm going to be a, a president of my club here very soon. And one of the parts that I'm going to add is just rotary history. We've done some really awesome things. And uh, I reminded everybody in this week's bulletin that the late uh, great Prince Philip that just passed away uh, not too long ago uh, was a Rotarian. Yeah. You know, one of the things we, 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 did this year that I, I wanted to do uh, was we would have uh, one meeting a quarter where we would have uh, past presidents reflect on many of the things you're, you're talking about in your questions. And the, the topic generally was why I'm a Rotarian. Mm. And, uh, you know, for example, we had our first woman president uh, from back in, in the early nineties came or she's, she's still a Rotarian. And so she talked about what that was all about, what that was right. like who invited her and what she did and why she did it. Uh, and that's been really good. And the reason I, I wanted to do that was because in inducting new members, we, we, we don't have enough time to really give them all that history. Right. And, but, you know, when they get to listen to those stories that uh, the past presidents can tell about their time as past president, what they initiated, what they wanted to get done and couldn't, you know, what they like about Rotary, the questions you're asking along the same lines. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody seemed to light up when that happened. And, and uh, I've, I've really been uh, very happy. At first, everybody was skeptical. No, we don't want to hear from those old guys and all that. Uh, but oh, I think. Come uh, on, history's cool. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was very uh, strategic and I picked the ones I knew would, would, uh, have a good story to tell because well, and that's the teacher in you. That's the teacher in you. I mean, when we, we tell people history, it's like we can either tell them the really boring stories in history, or we can tell them, and oh, by the way, there was a spy over here, and this guy invaded over here, and that's kind of cool. Well, let me give you one more question, and then I'll let you go. Um, so, and this is the famous elevator pitch. So, if somebody sees your rotary pin or your rotary shirt as you're talking today. And they recognize the wheel and they say, I, I don't know, I'm, I might want to be a Rotarian. What do you tell them? What's your elevator pitch to be a Rotarian? Come to a meeting. Uh, uh, That's a yeah. fast elevator. <laughs> That's it. I said, hey, you, you, you know, we do, we do a lot of, of community activities, but uh, we have a lot of fun and fellowship while we're doing it. And I, I give them examples. I mean, uh, the, the, Rotary members we have in this community that are either executive directors or presidents or chairs of nonprofits, business organizations. We've got the mayor. Uh, we, we just signed on the sheriff of Brazos County. Wow. Uh, you know, what I tell them is these are the kind of people you want to get to know. I mean, you, you might not never have any work to do with somebody in the banking industry, but we have, we've got a couple of people here that are 
significant players in, in that industry in town. And, and so um, uh, I, I, I just find it fascinating to talk to people from other walks of lives. And I, you know, in the army, I never had to worry about talking to bankers and uh, <laughs> guys that ran insurance companies right. or we've got judges uh, and all that. So it, it's a, what I, what I'd like the rotary to be thought of as is, is a hub where community leaders can get together. So we've got head of the Salvation Army, got the head of Habitat for Humanity, have the head of the Red Cross, several other nonprofits, and and you can meet all of them and you can interact with them and you can learn about what they're doing uh, in the community. And that's been an important part of uh, what I think our club's adds. Wow. Joe, what an amazing club. Do give them my best. And thank you for spending some time with me on the show. I really appreciate it. See, you're a very fascinating person. That's why I want you on my podcast. You're like, I don't know. Why do you want me? Because you're super cool. Well, thank See? you. You're <laughs> thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Thank you. I stand by the words, Joe. You're super cool. Okay. Don't let anybody tell you different. And uh, welcome to Texas. Boy, I tell you, Texas A&M, the War College's 30 years as a military man. Thank you so much for your service. And thank you so much for really taking on some of those questions about the four-way test. I think the four-way test is a, um, a living document, much like we call uh, our, our, our constitution. So again, Thank you, Joe. It was amazing to talk to you. And if you know somebody that I should talk to on the podcast, do let me know. RotarianPod at gmail.com and get others to uh, tune into the podcast. Of course, you can get this podcast wherever you feel comfy listening to your podcast. And until next week, take care of yourself and a world around you. And I thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Have a great week, everybody. We'll hear you soon. Mm-hmm.